wonderful job there by our young people. Uh, I was surprised that they didn't do any actual roaring because a lot of times I'll hear them singing the song and it gets to the part and it says roaring like a lion and they, they actually roar. So I was expecting to hear some of that, but uh, I know uh, these young people and they've got a heart for Jesus and, and their faith, uh, I pray, uh, in this world will, will not be silenced. Uh, I pray their faith will continue to grow and uh, they will speak triumphantly, confidently about Jesus Christ because He is alive and He is not dead. And that revival we so desperately need, uh, I believe, is right around the corner. Uh, and we see the evidence of that in our young people. So grateful that they were able to lead us in worship this morning. And I want to invite you at this time to open your Bible with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Mark 10, verses 32 through 34, our sermon title this morning is A Bold Prediction. A Bold Prediction. Predictions come in many forms. Sometimes you have financial experts trying to predict the stock market about when to, when to buy and when to sell. Uh, you've got uh, political experts trying to predict who will win elections and so forth. You've got weathermen trying to predict whether or not you're going to need an umbrella uh, the next day or not. And the thing about predictions is this. When, when you're right, you look really good. When you're, when you're right, you look real smart. But the problem is sometimes predictions backfire. And when they don't come true, you end up looking foolish. And the hard thing is about uh, trusting in predictions is de deciding when to trust the prediction or not, especially when there's a lot riding on the line in our text this morning, we read of Jesus making a bold prediction. In fact, I believe the boldest of all predictions, that a man would prophesy his coming death, his burial, and prophesy his resurrection. And whether or not Jesus is accurate in this prediction or not determines the eternal destination of your and my soul. So there is a lot riding on this bold prediction whether or not Jesus would be accurate or not. The good news is, as we've read the rest of the story, and we know the rest of the story, His resurrection predictions were accurate. And since Jesus was so accurate in predicting His resurrection, you and I can have complete and confident trust in Jesus when it comes to our eternal security. This morning, brothers and sisters, rest certain if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ that He is faithful. He is faithful and He is accurate regarding not only His prediction, His resurrection, but your resurrection through trusting Him as well. I want to invite you, if you're able to, stand with me this morning. We do this every week in reverence for the reading of the Holy Word of God. I'll be reading from Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 32. And these words were written by Mark under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were fearful. And again he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, 
and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we come to this point in our service, Lord, we do so with reverence. As we open up this book, we do so, God, with the uh, conviction that this is your word. And God, if you are alive and well, and if you are a God who speaks, and if you are a God who superintended the writing of this holy word, then everything this book has to say not only is true and trustworthy, but it is authoritative and it is powerful. So Father, we come humbly this morning in submission to the written word of God, praying, Lord, that you would speak to us as the Holy Spirit inspired Mark to write these words. These words are faithful and these words are true and these words are relevant for us today as we reflect on the prediction of Jesus, of his own crucifixion, his own resurrection. Father, I pray you would impress upon our hearts what this means for us and how this impacts not only our life here on earth, but our eternal destination. It's all in your hands, Lord. It's all in your hands. We pray this in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. For the past several weeks, we've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark, and we have noticed in the end of chapter 8 all the way through chapter 10, the, the overall theme, the overarching theme of this section of Scripture is discipleship. Jesus, being the master teacher, is teaching his followers what it means to be a Christian, what it takes to follow after him. And especially in light of the cross, how does the cross of Jesus Christ impact the way we live as his people here on earth today? This is not the first time Jesus has predicted his crucifixion and resurrection as we have seen. In fact, this is the third time that Jesus has predicted his, his passion, his suffering that is to come in the last part of the Gospel of Mark. Repetition, we realize in Scripture, repetition is important because it's something the author is emphasizing. And here, the third time Mark is writing to his audience telling them that Jesus predicted what was about to happen to him. So repetition is important. It's also the, the last of Jesus' passion predictions we find in Mark. It's also the most detailed of the three. When we read through these verses, it's, it's a small picture, a preview of what Jesus was to face in chapters 11 through 16 in his last week here on earth before his death. And so as we are reading this prediction from Jesus, I think it impacts the way we are to follow him as his disciples. The first way it impacts us is this. We need to follow Christ with courage. With courage, we are to follow him. We see Jesus' march to the cross sets the tone for us as his people when we follow him. If we are to follow him with courage, first of all, we must be led by him. In verse 32, it says, They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them. 
We must be led by Him. If we are to overcome evil, if we are to overcome sin in our lives, we must be led by Him. We must follow Him wherever He goes. It says here, they are on the way to Jerusalem. What is awaiting Jesus in Jerusalem? Well, we know, and He knows. It is the cross. It is at this point in His ministry where He has determined it is the Father's will for Him to die on the cross. And Jesus, with that knowledge of what's about to happen to him, moves on ahead resolutely towards the cross. With full knowledge of what is to come, he is not blind to the fact of his own suffering. He's not coerced, he's not pulled, he's not dragged, but he walks, and not only does he walk, he is walking ahead of the pack towards Jerusalem and towards his cross undeterred. And if we are to follow him, if we are led by him, we understand that the path of Jesus included a cross. And if we are to walk the path of Jesus, guess what? That pathway includes a cross for you and I. Jesus told his disciples in chapter 8, if anyone comes after me, he must deny himself Pick up his cross and follow me. What does that mean? That means you die to self. That means you relinquish all preconceived and so, so, so thought control of your own life. You lay it all down. You surrender it to him. Your ambitions, your desires, your goals, you give it all to Christ and say, Lord, your will be done in my life. Jesus moving towards the cross, you and I, if we were to follow Him, we are to die to self, make Him our master, and follow Him. The path of Jesus includes a cross. It's a life of sacrifice. But the other alternative is to walk a different pathway that might uh, at the surface look like an easier pathway, but where does that pathway lead you? If you're not following the path of Jesus, you're following the path of eternal destruction. So it's a choice you've got to make. Is suffering for Jesus worth the final reward or not? We must be led by Him and walk His path. We do so with courage, but also we must lean upon Him. In verse 32, we see that the Christian walk is difficult. And at times, and in fact all the time, we need His help to walk this walk. Verse 32, it says, And Jesus was walking on ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were fearful. This is a very dramatic moment, and and if this was a movie, you can imagine the, the music that would be playing at this moment wouldn't be very peppy and lighthearted. It would be very somber and very serious. And you can picture the, the violins playing. It's a very dramatic moment as Jesus, understanding what is to come, is leading the charge to Jerusalem. And His disciples, they're there with Him. And it says, they were amazed. They say, I can't believe what we are watching. And it says, those who followed were fearful Now, is it referring to the disciples or were there more people there? Quite likely there were more people there than just the twelve. But I believe even the disciples had a 
a sense of, of reverential fear, but maybe a fear of the unknown. They're amazed. They say, I can't believe what we are watching. And at the same time, they're afraid. I can't believe what we are watching. This man is moving towards Jerusalem. Doesn't he know that his worst enemies are there in Jerusalem? Doesn't he know there are people there that want him eliminated? Doesn't he understand the opposition that's there? It would be so much easier for Jesus if he would just stay away from Jerusalem. I can't believe what he is doing. I can't believe that we are a part of this. And they were amazed, fearful, it's funny because back in verse 28, Peter had declared that the disciples had surrendered it all for Jesus. He said, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. And I believe he was saying this in full confidence. But then, as a follower of Christ, you realize there are times where the way of Jesus is tough. There are times as a disciple that the pathway of Christ includes suffering. And it's in those moments we are amazed, but also in those moments where we are fearful, in those moments we need to lean upon him. Jesus, if I'm going to walk this path, you're going to have to walk it with me. You're going to have to help me in this. We must lean upon him if we are to walk in courage. But also if we are to follow him with courage, we must learn from him. The, master's te- the master teacher's instructions are shedding light on the situation and it could be the disciples are saying we're amazed and we're a little bit fearful because we don't really know what's going to happen there is a sense of the unknown and when you follow Christ there is always that element we may not always know where those steps are going to lead us and his disciples are a little bit fearful perhaps of the unknown and it says and again he took the twelve aside it was his habit the habit of Jesus to take his Followers, those who had an intimate relationship with him, those who had a special audience with him, he would remove them to the side and say, Look, guys, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. He didn't say, It's a pretty good chance, guys, this is going to happen. He didn't say, Well, I, I think this might happen. No, he said, Guys, listen up. Here is what is going to happen to me. And he spelled it out for them clearly. Jesus in his teaching, he, he shows us. Doesn't sugarcoat it. Say, guys, you know, just follow me and, and I'll take care of it. No, he lays it out plainly. There's no bait and switch when it comes to following Christ. You need to understand that the pathway of Jesus includes a self-sacrifice. The pathway of Jesus includes serving others ahead of your own needs. It's the pathway of Christ. It's not always what we would choose or what we would want. But we can follow with courage as we learn from him what was going to happen. Jesus was certain because he knew the scriptures. But he was also certain because he was God incarnate. And he had a full knowledge of the Father's determined plan for him. We must learn from him. Following Christ with courage. Just this past week on Wednesday had to take my kids to the dentist. They had to get uh, some cavities filled. You know, I know it makes me look like a bad parent. My kids have cavities. But anyway, they were a little bit uncertain about going to the dentist. Maybe a little scared. But quite frankly, who here is, is, is afraid to go to the dentist and get dental work done? 
Yeah, I'd say every, every one of us. And so there is an element of fear of going to the dentist. But they went to the dentist's office. They overcame their fear and they pushed forward. Why? Because the other alternative is not going to the dentist's office, not giving your cavities filled, and having your teeth rot out. You know, you had an option there. You had to follow a pathway that requires courage, but the end result is better than the other alternative of not walking that pathway, ending up with decaying teeth. You know, God's will, doing God's will can be scary. There are times God will call you to do something. There are times God will put a pathway before you and say, this is what I want you to do. And it requires an extreme amount of faith. And you're not sure if I can do that or not, God. We need to follow the example of Jesus and courageously be obedient to what it is God is calling us to do. Like Jesus moving towards the cross, undeterred. We need to follow His example as we do the Father's will. But also we need to follow Christ with conviction. Conviction, what is that? Those are beliefs that are held so strongly. Beliefs of which we are thoroughly convinced are true, so true that we believe that it leads us to act in certain ways. Convictions. We are certain this is true and I will not be moved from this belief. Jesus, of course, had conviction. If you and I are going to follow Him, we need to have some conviction regarding certain things. First of all, like Jesus, we need to believe in God's sovereignty. His sovereignty, what does that mean? It means God reigns over everything. It means there are no rogue molecules in all the universe God governs it all he determines it all even the outcome of a basketball game as much as I hate to say it God is sovereign over all things nothing happens beyond his planned and determined will including the crucifixion of Jesus wasn't an accident wasn't a terrible unforeseen tragedy wasn't if God said, I can't believe what they're doing to my son. Why in the world would they do that? No, God knew. God knew and he communicated that to Jesus. It's interesting in verse 32, it says at the end that Jesus began to tell them what was going to happen to him, specifically, verse 33, saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. It's like Jesus is saying the fate of his followers is intertwined with his fate tell you what's going to happen to me we collectively are going to Jerusalem as my followers you're going to Jerusalem as my followers you're going to pick up a cross as my followers you're going to have to lay it down as my followers you're going to have to give up yourself deny yourself in an effort to serve others and love them and live a life of sacrifice but Jesus said we are going to Jerusalem and this is by God's design because Jesus says and when they get there the son of man Jesus that's his favorite phrase terminology for himself goes back to the Old Testament the son of man is a human being with God qualities as he rules his kingdom Jesus says the son of man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes he will be delivered it's a passive sense he's allowing himself to be given over now who is giving Jesus over to the chief priests and the scribes well of course Judas we know the story of Judas betraying Jesus but even more so it is the father in heaven who is giving his own son over to the chief priests and scribes it is by God's predetermined plan 
that the Father in heaven gives his Son over to the scribes, to the chief priests. How do we know that? We read this in Acts chapter 2. As Peter is preaching his first sermon on the day of Pentecost, he's preaching about the cross in Acts 2, verse 22 and following. He says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Peter is saying it is by God's will, God's design, that in the sovereignty of God, his plan included a cross, his son's cross. And as a follower of Jesus, we hold to that same conviction. God is in control of all that he has made and as such God is judge over all including you and I that he has made we believe in God's sovereignty but also we believe in Christ's sacrifice verse 33 goes on to say behold we are going up to Jerusalem the son of man will be delivered by the father to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death The chief priests and the scribes, who were they? Well, they were the sacrificial experts. The priests had to inspect every sacrifice, every animal that was to be brought, whether or not the sacrificial animal was worthy of being given to God as a sacrifice. And the scribes, they were the scriptural experts. They were the ones who knew the law of God back and forth, and they knew what was supposed to happen regarding the law and God's plan for sacrifices. And so as God gave his son over to these sacrificial and scriptural experts, they examined Jesus and they condemned him in a legal sense as one who was worthy of punishment. Even though there was no fault in him, even though he was sinless, they determined that Jesus was to be a sacrifice. It's interesting to know this all took place during the Jewish holiday of Passover. Passover is when they remembered back in the book of Exodus when Moses had the, the Israelites there in Egypt and God had determined to take the Israelites out of Egypt and sent all these plagues on the Egyptians and the last plague was the angel of death was to strike down the firstborn in every household but God told the Israelites here's what I want you to do take a perfect lamb a spotless unblemished lamb sacrifice this innocent animal take its blood and apply its blood to the doorposts of your house and when the angel of death sees the blood applied to your doorposts The angel of death will pass over your house. There will be no death. And during this time of Passover, the the priests would examine every sacrificial animal that was brought forth, whether or not that animal was worthy of being sacrificed to God. And the chief priests and the scribes determined Jesus was worthy of condemnation. In essence, what they were saying was Jesus was the Lamb of God who had come to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. In fact, by God's sovereign plan, the Scripture says Jesus was the Lamb of God 
who was slain before the foundation of the world, even before God created the universe. He knew sin was coming and God's plan was to send Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. We need to believe in Christ's sacrifice. And why does Jesus need to be sacrificed? It's because we believe in man's sinfulness. Man's sinfulness. Verse 33 says, The chief priests and the scribes, they will condemn him to death will hand him over to the Gentiles, hand him over to the Romans. It's interesting, not only is, is it part of God's plan, God's responsibility that Jesus died on the cross, there was also human agency involved in that the Jews condemned him to death, gave him over to the Romans who crucified him. So here you have Jews and Gentiles alike. Why is that important? Because Jesus is a universal Savior He's a Savior for all mankind, regardless of your race, regardless of your, of your gender, regardless of your age, your socioeconomic background. Jesus is able to save anyone. Jesus went to the cross to be a sacrifice because He knew you and I needed a substitute. He knew that you and I needed a perfect, spotless lamb to be slain in our place so that death might pass us over. Jesus became that for us because of his conviction that man was sinful, because of his conviction that all have sinned, that's you, that's me, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I sin. I do things I shouldn't do. I don't do the things I'm supposed to do. I need a Savior. You need a Savior. Jesus, knowing this with this conviction, went to the cross to fulfill the Father's plan for your salvation. Now we had a busy week this week. Not only did we go to the dentist, we went to the zoo on Tuesday. And, and we went to the zoo, we went to, uh, to there in Louisville, we saw the gorillas. I don't know if you've ever gone to the zoo there and seen the gorilla forest, but there's this glass wall all around. And you can go walk in and you can see the gorillas inside playing. And there's this crate right up against the glass. And Jaden wanted to step up on top of the crate, so I set him up there, and he's watching the gorillas run around. And uh, as he's up there against the glass watching, suddenly this little gorilla decides he wants a close-up look at everybody on the other side of the glass. And this gorilla runs over right up against where Jaden's at on the glass. And suddenly Jaden turns around, his eyes are as big as saucers, and he runs full speed and just jumps and lunges at me. And I wasn't really paying full attention. I had, a, I had a Coke in my hand, and suddenly there's this three-year-old you know, jumping at me like that. But you know what caused him to act in that way? He had two convictions in that moment. Conviction number one, he didn't want anything to do with that gorilla on the other side. He was going to get as far away from that gorilla as he could. That was conviction number one. But conviction number two was, Daddy's going to catch me. Never mind the fact I wasn't paying much attention. Never mind the fact I had an ice-cold Coke in my hand. He didn't care. He knew I was going to catch him. And his convictions in that moment drove him to act. That's the way it needs to be with our convictions. Say, I, I, I believe God is sovereign. I believe God's in control and God's the judge of all mankind. And I believe Jesus went to the cross to die as a, sacri a sacrifice. And I believe he did that for my sin. And my convictions are so strong that it's going to drive me to act and I am going to jump. And I'm going to take that step of faith. It's one thing to say, I believe this parachute will save me. It's another thing to pull the ripcord in full belief 
that parachute's going to save me. That's saving faith. Say, I believe Jesus died for me. I believe Jesus rose again. But are you going to take that leap? Is your conviction that strong leading you to act? You need to follow Christ with conviction. Finally, you need to follow Christ with confidence. We follow Him courageously because of our conviction, and our conviction leads us to take that final step. We follow Him with confidence. We walk forward because He has already walked forward. He's already done for us what needed to be done for us. Therefore, you and I can have confidence to move forward regardless of the difficulty and the sacrifice involved for us. How do we know He's satisfied that? First of all, He was reviled for you. In verse 34, what does it say about the Gentiles? They will mock him and spit on him. There was emotional pain. There was social pain. As he was mocked, as he was spit upon, the king of the universe, the one who made it all, was now being humiliated by the very ones that he had made, by the very ones he had come to save. As we see Jesus being reviled, as we see Jesus treated with contempt and with disgust, it reminds us of the way God looks at our sin. His reviling is really in our place so that God will not revile our sin, so God will not be disgusted by our sin. His social disgrace takes the place of you and I, of you and I, our separation from God. Jesus was reviled so that you and I would not be reviled by the Heavenly Father with His holy eyes looking upon our sinful state. Jesus took our reviling from us. He was rejected for you. Verse 34 says, They will mock Him and spit on Him. They will scourge Him and they will kill Him. Jesus was rejected. As He was scourged, as He was crucified, He died a criminal's death. He was scorned by mankind, the ones He came to save. He was also rejected by the Father as He hung upon that cross between heaven and earth. His Father, for the first time in all eternity, turned His face away from His only begotten Son. As Jesus, according to the Scriptures, Paul says, that He, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. As Jesus hung on that cross, He became your sin as he was separated, as he was rejected by God, he was rejected so that you and I would not be, so that there would be no need for our rejection. As he hung upon that cross and as he was crucified, he became our sin, Paul said, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. As Jesus died on the cross, there was a balance transfer that took place. He became sin you and I become His righteousness. That's how you and I are made right with God. God doesn't pretend, ah, I'll just act like you never did anything wrong. Yeah, come here. No, God says, I'm holy and just. I must, I must punish sin. A good God must punish sin or He's not a good God. And as Jesus died on the cross, He demonstrated the justice of God. He also demonstrated the mercy of God. And that Jesus suffered so that you and I would not need to be. He was rejected for you and rejected for me so that we could follow the path of God with confidence. Finally, He was resurrected for you. Verse 34 goes on to say, 
It's amazing with just the confidence in which Jesus says this. They will mock him, and they will spit on him, they will scourge him, they will kill him, and three days later, he will rise again. It's a guarantee. He's not worried about it. He's like, I know there is suffering involved. I know socially I'm going to be reviled. I know spiritually I'm going to be rejected by my Heavenly Father. But I also am fully convinced that I'm going to be raised. I'm going to be vindicated. I realize that my suffering is not going to be in vain. I'm going to pay the penalty in full so that you can follow my path. Three days later, he will rise again. It's the third time Jesus has said this. He is so confident in his Father's plan. And so he is following this pathway the Father has set before him. And he has followed that pathway first so that you and I, whatever pathway God would have us to follow, we can follow that pathway with confidence knowing Jesus has led the way. The footsteps of Jesus. We will follow the steps of Jesus wherever they go because if it's the way that Jesus went, that's the way I want to go. Sometimes that way is hard. Sometimes that way is tough. But as Jesus followed that path and was raised, so too you and I by faith will be raised because our sins have been atoned for. And when we die and our souls and our bodies are separated, we are received into the Father's presence immediately and then when Christ returns we return and as Jesus was given a resurrected body so too you and I will receive a brand new body to live in a resurrected world the work of Jesus has guaranteed this on our behalf so we can follow the plan and the path of God with confidence we can follow him it reminds me of the words of Psalm 23 the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he, while he leads me beside still what he leads me beside the still waters he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake and so we see Jesus the good shepherd leading us yeah I want some still waters I want the paths of righteousness but you know where the paths of righteousness following the God's right plan for us you know where it leads sometimes Jesus said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Or David wrote that about Jesus. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And you say, Wow. Why, how do we end up in the valley of the shadow of death? Does that mean we, we've stepped out of the pathway of God? No, sometimes, sometimes the path of God requires us to go through those valleys, those shadows. But he says, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Sometimes following God means we make difficult choices. Sometimes it's choices that are not pleasant. Sometimes following Jesus means I've got to lay it all down. And as scary as that is to not be in control, you're never in control in the first place. It's just an illusion. But to understand that and lay it all down, that's scary. But Jesus said, I am with you every step of the way. And you'll fear no evil, for I am with you. Why? Because Jesus already walked that path. The valley of the shadow of death, it wasn't a shadow for Jesus. It was really death for Jesus. Just a mere shadow for you and I. And when we follow Christ, we can follow Him with courage, with conviction, with confidence. If we think about Jesus Christ, and we think about this prediction, I've got another prediction for you. It's this. His works and His Word guarantee your win.
In sports, it's a dangerous thing to guarantee a win. But Jesus guarantees you will win. Your soul will win. He says, whoever loses his life will save it. Whoever tries to save himself will lose his life. His works and His Word guarantee that you win. The question is, do you have enough conviction regarding His Word? Do you have enough conviction regarding His Word that you will run and jump into the Father's arms? Do you have full confidence that your Father in Heaven will catch you because of what Christ has done? It takes a leap of faith. It takes a degree of courage. It takes certain convictions that lead you to act. But you can act with confidence because of what Jesus has done. I believe the Spirit of God is here this morning. I believe that God is speaking to us. I believe God is touching hearts. He's opening eyes. This morning you may be led by God to make a decision, the most important decision of all, that is to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. To hear this prediction and to know these predictions all came true. And it all happened because God loves you. And to know if I don't follow this path of Christ, I'm separated from God for all eternity. Like Brother Steve said, a thief on the cross, one decided to follow him, one rejected him. And the choices that those men made here on earth are impacting them now and for all eternity. Same goes for you and I. you got a choice to make. You're going to follow Christ or not? It ain't easy. It's not always pleasant. Sometimes it's amazing. Sometimes, sometimes I'm afraid. But because Jesus boldly predicted what was to come, and because He was accurate, I have full confidence that if I follow Him, I will be saved. Do you have that same confidence? Let's pray together.